When I am among the trees, especially the willows and the honey locust, equally the beech, the oaks, and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness. I would almost say that they save me and daily. I'm so distant from the hope of myself in which I have goodness and discernment and never hurry through the world, but walk slowly and bow often. Around me, the trees stir in their leaves and call out, stay a while. The light flows from their branches and they call again. It's simple, they say, and you too have come into the world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light, and to shine. I love trees. Uh, it's probably a little unhealthy, the amount that I love trees. Uh, I have always been a tree hugger, tree lover. Yeah, you said, <laughs> that's all right. I'll embrace it uh, along with the tree. Uh, and uh, yeah, just, just love, the, love trees and what they represent and just kind of the feeling you get when you're around them and everything. I, I'm going to let the, the whole point of the message out right at the beginning uh, so that you can be thinking on this as you go through. And obviously the discussion topic uh, hinted at it a little bit. My sense is, that a tree is a great metaphor for all of the things that a local church, neighborhood kind of church body can be for its community. It's a source of blessing, a source of shelter, a source of shade, a place where people of all different kinds can gather around its trunk and find a sense of unity and community around there, maybe have a family gathering or a picnic around the trunk there. And that a local church in many ways ought to function in this way. Now, uh, I love trees. I've always loved trees. I, I spent half of my childhood, I think, in a tree. There was a tree in my backyard that went up way high. I mean, it was probably 40 feet high. And when I was seven years old, six, seven years old, I would climb all the way to the top branch to the point where there was nothing to sit on and just hang on it. Uh, and I cannot imagine why my mom let me do this, but I did. And so I would hang out there. There was one kind of Y at the very top that I could sit in and just hang on with one arm and just sway back and forth. It's such a peaceful place to just go up there and kind of like just retreat from everything and see the glory of God's creation all around from a different perspective. I've always loved trees, climbing trees, being in trees, falling out of trees, uh, grabbing fruit from trees, sitting under trees. In fact, I, I remember this one picture that my mom had taken of me and my brother because uh, we spent so much of our time in trees that that was about the only place she could get a picture of us. And so here's me and my brother. Um, the, the handsome one here is me. Uh, and the other one is my brother. So <laughs> now, so this is us eating fudgesicles or something. And we loved being in trees. When I think about trees, and so you can take that picture down so they don't have to look at me in a swimsuit all, all that time. So uh, when you think about your experience of trees, uh, we just got back from a state park in Virginia, just surrounded by all sorts of the variety, the old trees, the young trees, the different kinds of trees, the trees that grow up out of mountainsides and the trees that are planted by the rivers, trees everywhere, and just the beauty and the peace. And for me, trees just always seem to... Like a healthy tree just always sense, seems to exude a sense of well-being and health and goodness. I think about all the times you think about 
family gatherings in the park and family reunions and picnics. And those always seem to happen under trees. People just come together under these kinds of things. There's this sense that a good, healthy tree provides that kind of thing. When you look into the scriptures, this is something that the scriptures tap into in a couple different places. I, I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible, one of the first stories in the Bible has a tree or a couple of trees, really several trees, right at the center of the story. The story of, of creation kind of begins there. God creates all these things, and one of the things that God makes is a garden. And this garden was made for people. Human beings, Adam and Eve, are planted in the middle of this garden. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, uh, say this. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the garden, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. There's something in your soul, even as I read that, that creates a longing, doesn't it? Does that do that in you? Imagining this place that was made just for the nourishment and well-being and pleasing to the eye and good for food all around God placed the man there and eventually the woman would come. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God gave to Adam and Eve all of these trees for nourishment, for shade, for blessing, for well-being, for resources that they would need to survive. And yet he took one tree and he put it off and he said, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you are not to eat of the fruit from this tree. And of course, Adam and Eve, this wasn't good enough for them. And, and just like we probably would have done in that same situation, we reached beyond uh, what, we, what, what was available to us. And, and Adam and Eve, very early on, you turn the next page, Gen Genesis chapter 3, and they rebelled against the command of God. And they ate from the tree that, the, that they were commanded not to eat from. And as a result of that action, the fall occurred. And along with that sin, that disobedience to God, a curse came with it. And it was a tragic kind of curse. And it carried with it so many different separations and brokenness. There was a, a separation that Adam and Eve experienced between God and themselves. There was a, a, a disconnect between Adam and Eve and a relationship there that got distorted and, and, and ruined in, in a lot of different ways. There was also a disconnect between the people and, and the earth and the creation that God had made. The harmony that had existed there in the garden was broken. And then God removed Adam and Eve out of the tree of life area and the Garden of Eden altogether and separated them from it so they were no longer allowed to enter into it. And we know that if we think about this just for a minute, this wasn't just a separation from a tree or several trees. It was a separation from all of the things that those trees represented as well. Wholeness. Peace. Blessing. Provision. All of those things that God had created this earth to be for Adam and Eve, they were now separated from and they lived now under the curse of sin. Now, the early story of, of the Garden of Eden isn't the only time in the Scriptures we find a tree. If you fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible, so the Bible begins with a tree, and it also ends 
with a tree. If you turn to Revelation chapter 22, <laughs> you thought that they put those there to mark your spaces, but they're really there in, for you if you drop your Bible uh, to grab onto. So Revelation chapter 22, you get this image of the new creation that's coming in that God is making. See, because God wasn't content to allow human beings forever and ever to live under the curse of their own sin. So much of the story of the Bible is God working to redeem and restore and find a way for human beings to re-enter into the shalom, that peace, that rest, that blessing, that goodness, that, that connection and relationship between God and, and us, between us and each other, between us and creation. And so in, in Revelation 22, right at the very end, John, who's writing this revelation, is being given visions of the end of times when God will finally and ultimately renew and restore and set all things right. And there's this picture of a new heaven settling down down over a new earth, a new Jerusalem setting down, and God is the light source for this new city, and, and in this new creation, every tear is going to be wiped away, and all death is going to be pushed aside, and, and Christ is the victor over all sin and death, and that's all put away. There's no more suffering or weeping or mourning. And, and at the end of some of these descriptions, we find this picture in chapter 22, then the angel showed me the river the river, that same river that flowed through the Garden of Eden and gave source and nutrients to all of the trees in the garden, God showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They won't need light or lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever and everybody said. You read that and it creates a longing in your heart, doesn't it? That there is, there's a return and yet it's a return, but it's not just a going back to the old Eden. It's a transformed kind of peace and rest and glory and beauty. You see that tree of life that was talked about in Genesis is now uh, transformed like so much in the new creation. It's a new creation. Uh, and it's not just that old tree. It is now a, a new creation tree of life. And, and it's just, just one tree. It, it's somehow this one tree lines the sides of the river of life that flows from the throne of God and from His Son. And notice that it's got new properties as well that it didn't need in the uh, original creation. The leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations. So for us, um, the Bible begins with a tree and it ends with a tree. This is where we're going. This is where we've come from. And so for us, we live kind of in this time between the trees, don't we? In this time where the curse of sin and the fallen world and the brokenness that we experience is still very real. I've been thinking a lot about our culture and, 
and what it means to be a church in this culture and in this neighborhood and the kinds of things that, that people around us and even us uh, many times often experience. And a lot of times uh, for us, I think it feels a lot more like a desert than it does uh, a, a, a garden of Eden. Let me pull that, that picture off the screens here real quick. I just want to talk about um, the culture that we live in for a minute and the hurt that we experience. Maybe you've experienced this. We, we live in a, a world, a culture, a neighborhood that is increasingly isolated and hurting. We really struggle with relationships. We really struggle with feeling connected to one another, a sense of community, a sense of family. You look around and, and from house to house in our neighborhood and in our culture, marriages are failing at an alarming rate. Children are growing up without both parents, uh, on a regular basis in a lot of different places. There's all kinds of um, division and strife. Have you noticed that political tensions are a little high in our country? You want to talk about that for a minute? You don't? Okay. So, so uh, no, you can't even use the word tensions. It's animosity, right? Like we just, people that disagree with us on policy matters, we're like mortal enemies of now with each other. Have you noticed that there is some racial tension in our culture. Man, we struggle with this, don't we? We struggle with this. Uh, we, we have people at an increasing rate and an alarming level turning to violence to deal with the internal pain and confusion and hurt of living under this curse of sin that they deal with. And so we have shooters in Vegas and school systems, and, and it's not always at other people. We have violence that's turned in on ourselves, too, and so people are taking their own lives and hurting themselves. This is a hurting culture, a hurting world. If people, more and more and more, we live in the middle of a culture that's dealing with an opioid epidemic right now, and people's lives are being lost. This is one of the leading causes of death in America right now of people who are trying to seek an escape from something, who've gotten hooked on uh, different kinds of, of opioid kinds of drugs. And, and we know that our addictions aren't just connected to drugs. We've got addictions of all sorts that are running rampant to alcohol, to gambling, to pornography. There are so many who in, in our culture and even, even in our community that are connect, like just shackled up to these kinds of addictions. Uh, we live in a culture that is full of this beauty and promises of technology. Technology everywhere. And have you noticed that technology seems to promise to provide for us all of the things that our heart longs for in one of these places, the beginning or the end, and yet it always seems to underdeliver and exacerbate the problem. And so technology can be your escape from the curse of sin. Technology can be your connection with somebody for some sort of community so you won't be lonely anymore. And, and yet, the more we engage with each other electronically, the more the problem exacerbates itself. Have you noticed this? So the more time I spend on Facebook, the lonelier I feel. The more time I spend on Instagram, the more depressed I am that my life doesn't look like that, the more anxious I am. And this is clinical studies prove this over and over again. The more time we spend with technology, the more exacerbated these problems become of disconnect, isolation, hurting. And it just kind of compounds upon itself. Is everybody excited today to be at church? Uh, am I digging the hole deep enough for us? But listen, let me ask this. 
Am I painting an accurate picture? You know it and I know it. It's a hurting and difficult world that we live in between the trees. What creates it, if I could just take a couple more shovelfuls, (laughs) dig us a little deeper. A few decades ago, when people would find themselves in the midst of one of these difficult places in life, one of the first places they would go for help was a local church. A local church was the hope. It was the place where you would go and you would seek a God that you knew was at work trying to create and redeem and restore and put things back together. And there was another tree coming and there was a river coming. And so if I needed to get to a place where I could find some help, I'd go to a body of Christ who would talk to me and embrace me with the love of God. And you would seek to find help in the one place and the one being who could actually do something about the place that you were in. But here we are in our culture and survey after survey and study after study, Barna after Barna study, for those of you who follow that kind of thing, show that we increasingly as a culture are not turning to those places anymore. In a lot of ways, the local church has become a stumbling block to people finding their way to a God who can help them and save them. They've fallen out of too many of the trees and they've gotten too many stitches and they've gotten too many wounds. And so now we don't go in those directions as much anymore. So I have this image in my mind. Sarah, if you could put this image up. I feel like this image of a guy walking alone in a desert trying to get directions from Siri or something like kind of sums up a lot of our culture. Lonely, isolated, exposed, seeking deliverance in something that's probably not going to get him out of there because the Wi-Fi is not good. Uh, No shade, no blessing, no river. If this guy stays out here for very long, he's going to die. If this guy stays out here for very long by himself without something to grow up over him he is going to die reminds me the place that we're at in a culture a lot of the exodus you know the exodus people of God wandered through the wilderness for 40 years And as they were wandering through the wilderness, they were grumbling and complaining against the very one who could provide water and nutrition for them and the one who had delivered them from slavery. And yet they're out there uh, wandering through the wilderness, grumbling and complaining against the one who could deliver them. So I've had this image in my mind here lately, thinking about the next 10 years for real life, but I've also had another image in my mind, and you can guess what it is. Everybody said, the tree, the tree. You know, the Bible begins with a tree and it ends with a tree, but these places in the Bible aren't the only places where we find trees described. There's a place in Jeremiah, every once in a while, you'll just see a little hint of a tree or an an image pop up here and there. Uh, In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 through 8, We find the scripture that we read at the beginning of the service. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. 
They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Do you think in a culture that is exposed and wandering in the desert, we could use a few trees like that? Absolutely. In fact, um, that painting back there that Becky Fraser did, that's the scripture you wrote on it, isn't it? Um, Jeremiah 17, that tree painting back there was given to us as a gift from one of our seed churches, Blackman Community, to say, this is you. This is you. Never fails to produce fruit. This is what a tree of God does. It's not just Jeremiah, Ezekiel, when I actually had the idea of this image and for the metaphor for our, our next 10, for this part of our, our vision plan, I was thinking of this verse. Uh, God is talking not about a physical tree. He's talking about his people, the people of Israel. And the people had gone through so many things and been exiled and all this. And, and yet God has plans for their flourishing and their development. And those plans are not just for their own good. Listen to all the things that God wants to do through his people and to his people that he uses the tree metaphor to hang all of this imagery on. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. And he's referring to a tender little tiny sprig uh, from a previous verse. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. And birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. Our culture needs some of those trees. Some of those local expressions of the body of Christ. The people of God are made for this kind of vision. And it's not just Jeremiah, and it's not just Ezekiel. One of my favorite tree moments in the Bible is not really about a tree at all. It's not a metaphor at all. It's a physical tree. And it happens in the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you remember the story, Jesus comes coming into town and Zacchaeus is this little short man. He spent his whole life chasing after all sorts of things and, and really has not experienced the blessing of belonging to the family of God. And Jesus comes into town and Zacchaeus climbs up a tree. And so the tree there in that story becomes the vehicle for a lost guy to get a vision of Jesus. Does the world need a church like this? That somebody could climb up into and as they nest in its branches get a picture of of the one who has come to bring them to the new creation and deliver them from the curse of sin and set them free to be connected again with God and others in the world that he's put them in. The world needs a tree like this. Actually, it needs several trees like this. It needs trees like this all over the place in every neighborhood, in every community, all over the world to be sources of shade and blessing and shelter and in community. And in this way, this is one of the beautiful things that I love about these images of trees being sprinkled through the Bible. And then every time I see a tree here lately, this is what I'm thinking. The Bible begins with a tree and it ends with a tree, actually a tree that lines the river. But every time we see a tree throughout Scripture, they are signposts to God's new creation.
the tree, whether you're speaking as a metaphor of the church, listen, or physically, you go out and see a tree. They are signposts to eternity. They're to remind us that there's a new thing coming, that there's a, a place of life and goodness and wholeness and deliverance and a place that's outside of the curse of sin. Remember, this is not the end. We're going somewhere. So that Ezekiel 17 passage, again, this next 10-year vision, we, wanna, we want to, just kind of recapping it, we want to saturate our neighborhood with the embodiment of the gospel. That one-mile radius, 27,000 people there in that one-mile radius, saturate it with the embodiment of the gospel by becoming a source of blessing and shelter and shade, provision for our communities. And then the other pieces of it, so we're talking really about the neighborhood tree that we want to become today. The other pieces are that there are seeds that go out all over the place and establish this kind of thing in other places. And then our root network grows together so that we become this strong network of signposts to eternity where a lost and hurting and exposed world can come in. Now, that Ezekiel passage has a few things that I just want to go through really quick. Thoughts on the tree, four things. It gets planted by God, beginning as a small sprig. This is the way the kingdom of God comes. The kingdom of God doesn't come in force. It doesn't come with power. It doesn't come with weapons. It comes as a tiny little shoot that God plants. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God like a mustard seed, which is, even though it's the tiniest seed in the whole field, when it gets planted, it grows up to become the most magnificent tree in the whole area, providing shelter and shade and birds of all kinds come and nest in its branches. This is the way the kingdom of God works. It gets planted by God in tiny little ways. And then it grows to have an impact beyond what that little sprig would have ever imagined or anybody who saw it. God does this. Number two, it branches out and provides shade. I want to think about this. For our one-mile radius, we don't lead with words. We lead with embodiment of the gospel. We lead with, rather than passing out a track, we lead with where are people exposed, hurting, desperate, and we're going to branch out and find a way to provide some shade in that area, right? Now, we're a small church. We can't do this everywhere, but we are doing it now. Maybe some of you aren't even aware of this, but for uh, several years now, our church, this sanctuary, has been a home to Narcotics Anonymous. Three nights a week, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Thursday night. Maybe some of you wonder, as somebody asked the question, everyone, what's the, what's the church doing about the opioid epidemic? We are opening our house to the community and saying, you can find some shelter here. So Narconics Anonymous comes in and there are 50 to 60 people three nights a week that come in to meet here. And very often, guys, this is the last line of defense before somebody takes their own life or overdoses and dies. And literally, this church is providing a branch to provide this place free of charge. They donate something, but I keep telling them, you don't need to do that. But they say, no, we have to do it. It's in our bylaws. Uh, but listen, so much goodness. In fact, they wrote us a thank you note a couple of weeks ago. And I wanted to read it to you because you're providing shade for them. Dear Pastor Eric in real life, 
We just wanted to write you a short note to let you know that we really appreciate what you do to help our community and offer drug addicts a safe, stable meeting place to find recovery and freedom from active drug addiction. You may never know how much of an impact you are having in our community by allowing us to meet here. We are truly grateful. We also wanted to share a little information with you. Our group started meeting here in August of 2008. We met on Tuesdays and Thursdays, averaging around 15. Today, we have an additional meeting on Mondays, averaging 48 addicts. Tuesdays are averaging 65 and Thursdays, 38. Thank you so much for allowing us to meet here and help addicts find hope and freedom from active addiction. Now, Shade means lots of things. There's lots of hurting people, lots of exposed people in our neighborhood, but that's one of the things it means. Providing some shade for people who are exposed. Next thing is that it bears fruit. This is what a church ought to be. This is what a local congregation, a body of Christ ought to be. It bears fruit. God never pours into us and nourishes us just for our own growth and our own benefit. We produce fruit for the good of the neighborhood around us. And so let me give you an example of this. And this can be in lots of different ways, and I hope that it will be in lots of different ways over the next 10 years. But just this initial uh, relationship that we've built over the last couple of years with Hobgood Elementary right down the street. And so we've provided, uh, you know, several, like 170 backpacks or 150 backpacks or something like that over the last couple of years. We've welcomed the students back to school. We threw them a huge party on their 60th anniversary and, uh, and brought the whole community along to get involved in, in that. So it was a ton, a ton of fun. We've handed out snow cones to welcome all the kids back to school. Last, or a couple of weeks ago, we participated in, a, in the school's reading day at Hobgood. And Ashley and I went, and Hillary was there, and Connie Ramsey was there, and, and we went into the classrooms uh, on their invitation and went in and read to students for half an hour apiece. And the principal of the school, Tammy Garrett, who has recently started attending our church here lately, if you see her, make sure you say hi, stopped Ashley and I in the hall, huge grin on her face, and she said, Ashley, Eric, guess what I just found out this morning? We got a call from the state, and our school just won the best award that a school can win. We are a level five school, which means that's the highest award, which means that when students come in, our school showed the most improvement of any school in the state between when students came in and where they were at benchmarked and where they completed the year last year. And she said this, I kid you not, and you church had something to do with that, and I want you to tell your church how thankful we are for them. And so I'm thanking you from Tammy's behalf. Fruit. Lots of different ways to provide it. Last thing, this is all from Ezekiel, these pictures from Ezekiel. It provides a home for diverse people. Birds of every nation will nest in its branches this vision that a local church ought to be a collection of people from different ages, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different cultures, different races, different experiences, different er- levels and, and areas and, and, and stages in the journey of a walk with or toward God. Maybe even that some people from different creeds who just recognize that there's a tree here and it's a signpost to somewhere that I want to go, show up here, and that when they come and nest in the branches, they get embraced and welcomed into a home. Our isolated, hurting, 
lonely world needs a body to belong to. I wrote down last week, um, we were talking about other things, and, and I felt like the Spirit just kind of said to me, the gospel can't be experienced through a TV screen. I mean, it can, but you know, like, like but it's not best experienced through a TV screen. The gospel needs a body. The gospel needs a body. There are people in our neighborhood that need to be embraced by people with actual arms. <laughs> Where people can find brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and cousins to gather around this one tree that, whose source is Christ himself. And whether they know what to call it or not when they first show up, they're embraced and loved into a family of God. And, and after a while, hopefully they recognize where the source of all this blessing comes from. And it comes from God himself and the river that flows from his throne and his son, Jesus Christ. And all the birds of all the different kinds come and find a home here. The gospel needs a body, needs a family. Now, I'm way over time, so let me wrap things up. I want to invite uh, the band to come forward. Uh, I want to invite those who are serving communion to come. We're going to do two stations for communion today. Um, and so we only have one station right now. So Gene, uh, would you uh, come up and, and serve in the other side and, and find somebody to, to serve with you? We're going to make an aisle down both uh, sections today because we've got a packed house. Listen, we're just beginning the conversation here. But this is one part of our vision plan. We've got this long-term vision plan of, of sat gospel saturation in our neighborhood and, and kind of cultural reproduction for, for the city where neighborhood trees would pop up in different neighborhoods. But one of our, one of our immediate emphases that we want to start working on right away is this one-mile radius emphasis to grow up and to be a tree. This tree is going to be planted in our playground right out here. And every time you drive onto the camp, onto the campus, like we've got this big campus, <laughs> every time you pull into the parking lot to the barn, um, you'll see this tree. And I want you to remember that these are the kinds of things that our church is to be about for our neighborhood. Signpost to eternity for our, for our neighborhood here. Blessing, shelter, shade. Maybe it's super appropriate that we would close out the service today by coming to communion. Every tree needs nourishment. And for us, it's very important for us to remember that nothing is accomplished of value in any local church unless it comes from the nourishment of God in Christ by His Spirit. And so when we receive communion, uh, just kind of picture that as being the water and the sunlight that comes into your life to make you into the part of the body, the part of the, the gospel tree, God's people that you are made to be. And the nourishment comes from here and nowhere else. It comes from Christ and nowhere else. So would you stand? Let's have a word of prayer and then uh, we'll sing and come and receive communion together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for all the good news that you're pouring into us for the hope and the inspiration, for the opportunity, God, in our neighborhood right here in the one-mile radius around us to be a tree of blessing and shelter and shade and in these ways to be a, kind of a signpost to eternity for a people who are walking along in the desert wondering where their help is going to come from. God, I pray that they would find it here. 
that they'd find you here, that they'd find us there, that we would branch out over this neighborhood and become that kind of kingdom blessing source. God, we thank you for the nourishment of your body and blood, for your sacrifice, for the forgiveness of sins that come through Christ, for the hope that he provides for eternity with you. And God, we pray that these elements today would nourish us and help us to put down our roots and to grow up and spread out our branches and produce fruit. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, Amen. Hey, you don't have to be a member to come and receive communion today. We just ask that you're seeking to follow Jesus. And if that's the case, come on forward and receive some nourishment today. Uh, take the elements, return to your seats, and we'll all uh, receive them together. All right, come. 